Welcome, my name is Dan Morgan, and thank you for tuning in to the Podcast Potables Network, home of both Process Potables and The Brew Coats. We are proud to be part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family. You can find all things Underground Sports Philadelphia on Twitter, at UndergroundPHI. We would also like to thank Design Tree for being a partner of the Podcast Potables Network. You can find shirts from us and much, much more at designtree.com and at designtree on Twitter. We are on social media, including Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Process Potables. Thank you to everybody for listening, and please, if you haven't already, subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. We'll get you right into the episode in just a minute, but first, our friends in the presence of wolves. And welcome to episode 43 of Process Potables. This episode is titled Seasons Beatings. We are back here in the podcast paradise for the first time in a while. Just me and Steve hanging out. Steve, what's going on, man? Not much. What's going on, everybody? Not only have we dealt with a plethora of technical difficulties today, but I don't have a voice. So this is going to be an interesting episode, but it's been a while. Wanted to make sure we got one out there. Now, our next episode is a big one because this Friday... At Neck of the Woods Brewing in Pittman, New Jersey, we'll be celebrating our one-year anniversary. Cannot believe this has been an entire year already. Time flies by when you're having fun and potting, apparently. Or when you're <laughs> just drunk for most of it, I guess. Yes. So, come on out, hang out. We'll have shirts and design tree. There'll be beers, food, uh, guests, everything. So, please, please, please come out and say hi. Uh, we're really looking forward to it. It should be a good time. I wanted to shout out, so it's early on Sunday, I obviously don't have a voice, not feeling all that well, but yesterday we had a friend's birthday, we were hanging out at Tom Foolery Brewing in uh, Hamilton, and I gotta give them a shout out, because today, they're tapping a special beer, it's called the Mango Mirage uh, New England IPA, and they weren't tapping it until today, but the owner was nice enough, uh, I asked if we could just try it, because we were there yesterday, and it sounded really intriguing, and he hooked us up, gave Process Potables the, the little inside, insider preview, little taste test, and this beer's no joke. Really good, probably the best mango beer I've ever had. Uh, it helped that it was a New England IPA because those are really up there for me, as we always talk about the Hazy Boys, the Juicy Boys, everything like that. Uh, the beer absolutely kicked ass. The best beer I've ever had from Tom Foolery by a mile. Agreed. Um... Their tap room, since the last time I had been there, which was years ago, is renovated. Very, very nice. A uh, lot of seating, TVs, everything. And they're tapping this beer today. I strongly suggest you go out there and check them out. And, and if this is still on, when you get there, if you can get there today or, or sometime soon, hopefully they'll still have it on. I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, very, very good beer. Very, very juicy. Very smooth. Very little bitterness. Mango is very popular right now within pale ales, IPAs, you know, juicy IPAs, stuff like that. And and like I said, I think this is the best usage of mango that I've had yet in a beer. I agree because the best mango beers I've ever had or anything citrusy or orangey have always come in the form of like a wheat beer or a Hefe Wise and things like that. I haven't had too many IPAs that were, you know, that good using a mango. So, 
you know, by far and away blew out any other kind of, you know, whether it's a wheat beer or an IPA. This this was really good. So you guys definitely need to go out and uh, check out Tom Foolery and ha- that's Hamilton, right? Yeah, that's Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton. Yeah, middle yeah. Of nowhere. Yeah, talk to him. So we may end up doing an episode there too. So I'll be looking forward to that. And we're also in talks with Vinyl Brewing, which is out there, which I hear good things about. Here they do a lot of sours, which obviously okay. I'm very hype about. So. Uh, we're, we're always looking for places. If you guys know anywhere you'd like to see us check out or anything, please send us the information or let us know. We'll reach out to them. We are always looking for new places to explore, to hang out, and to be the guinea pigs trying the beer so that we can tell you what's good, what's not, where you need to be hanging out and everything. Another big announcement for us before we get into the episode is that we will have our own website launching. Uh, I believe it is going to be just easilyprocesspotables.com. Oh, nice. Uh, locking that down and hopefully launching that sometime this week. Uh, I will make sure to get that out there, you know, hype it up a little bit, build some anticipation. But for the real ones that listen regularly, who want to know what we've been doing in, in this little bit of a break that we took, we, we have not been taking time off. A lot of big things happening. So really, really excited to get that out and, and hopefully add some layers to this thing. So looking forward to that. Since we're talking about beer, and since I'm talking about not having a voice, this is because I'm sick, not because I'm hungover. I actually had to take it easy last night because I, I thought I was getting sick. But we haven't done an episode since the Mike Scott Hive Tailgate Volume 3, so I think it's very important that we talk about that a little bit. I know a lot of our listeners are, are probably the people that were there, since that's mostly the people that we associate with and know, but for anybody who, who wasn't there, uh, it was an incredible time, absolutely blew the other two out of the water it's one of those things i mean we've we've experienced this same kind of rise i guess coming from the bare bones of the rights to ricky sanchez podcast we started at millers in the northeast with a hundred people watching a lottery party to seeing xfinity live get sold out so while this isn't that jump i mean that that happened over three four five years yeah you know this started from from a, a tailgate at the wells fargo center to a tailgate at, in the Lincoln Financial Field parking lot for a Phillies game that I don't think anybody even went to, to now this enormous event with you know a live DJ, with thousands being donated to charity, with events, with giveaways, raffles, the Sixers delivering us two dozen tomato pies, the uh, best tomato pie probably. Yeah, it's the best. I'm not incredible. A, I'm not really. I, I know Dan I, does not like tomatoes. Yeah, I'll, I'll get shit for this, but <laughs> I, I, I'm not really a tomato pie guy because I'm not a tomato guy, but. After I distributed an entire pizza, somebody was like, "Yo, you gotta, you gotta get your own." So I ate it anyway because, you know, I was drinking and I needed sustenance. And yeah, that was good. That was really, really good. So kudos to them. Shout, shout out to Santucci's. That's Santucci's. Okay. I took a picture so I wouldn't forget. Nice. All right. So Santucci's <laughs> gets the plug, and then obviously to everybody who was a part of planning that. Uh, you know, we we brought a couple things, but we were small peons in the grand scheme of what people like Zainab and AB and everybody else who's involved put together. Absolutely incredible event. Had a great time. And then got to go witness Jimmy Butler, who I'm sure was probably, you know, at the arena before we even started the tailgate. We thought we had a long day, but we know how early Jimmy starts. And, uh, (laughs) well, I think he started a little too early because it didn't look like anybody was ready to fucking go for this one. 113 to 86. I don't think that score does the game justice of just how bad it felt like we beat the brakes off of them. Oh, we beat that 
ass. Whoop he, that ass. Dude, he, he just didn't look good the entire game, man. And it's just, that's one of those things where both the box score and the eye test just show, like, he, I don't know if he was shook or, but, I mean, he's also stepping into retirement, so I guess he's just taking, you know, going at his own pace, and uh, that night wasn't his night. Yeah, he was the worst on the Heat as a minus 31. It seemed like he was just forcing everything, and from my perspective of being there, it was funny because it seemed like last year... He, he really came in and was trying to, like, coach up a lot of the players himself. Like, it felt like he – and, uh, like, I appreciated that here. I didn't have a problem with it. But it seemed like he was, you know, encouraging Ben to shoot, encouraging Joel to be the guy. We know, you know, his the stories of his relationships with both of them. Seemingly positive with Joel on both sides from Joel and from Jimmy. And then we're not so sure about the Ben part. We think that there may have been an issue there. may not be the reason he's back, but it's, it's not truly out there. But – he, he was looking a lot like Ben. He was dribbling into the paint and then didn't really seem sure of what to do. I don't know if that was respect for Embiid's defense in the paint or the or the Sixers' length overall, but it was kind of funny to me to see a guy who seemed like he was trying to direct the Sixers on how to play when he was here, looking kind of aimless and helpless and, and needing, like he needed somebody to tell him, yo, like this is what you should be doing because... What he was trying to do against the Sixers was not working. No, it wasn't working, and it's interesting because one reason he wanted to go to the Heat because he wanted to be the guy, the number one player, and whether it was us or even with Minnesota, he he had a really good cast. Like you know, he he had Cat um, and Wiggins who aren't obviously as good as say Embiid and Simmons, but he he had help. Now that he's the number one guy, I think that's what he's wanted. But now that he's there, I think he's just like shit, this sucks, like, I have to be the guy, I have to do everything, he kind of came out and said some things about, you know, his time in Philly and everything, and it just seems like, with, with his personality, there's, when he joins a new team, there's this honeymoon period, everything's going great, everyone has great things to say about Jimmy, and vice versa, but then after a while, he gets comfortable, you know, the, the honeymoon is over, and then shit just slowly starts to you, you know, happen, and, you know, it's like a slow volcano or death. Yeah, like, it, starts I don't to, know. it starts to deteriorate, and I think you're yeah. absolutely right. It's felt that way. It felt that way in Minnesota. It felt that way here, and it sure feels that way in Miami. And the best part about all of it was, uh, you know, I've been one of the people that's been a, a little a little bit critical so far up to this point of the season when they played the heat of Josh Richardson's play, and we were all really hype on him, and I think maybe he, he got a little bit overbuilt, but, boy, to see him have like the best game of his career against his yeah. former team against Jimmy Butler who they basically traded Josh away to acquire him thinking that that was a better move for them. Josh Richardson drops 32 points on them, 11 of 15 from the field, 6 of 7 from 3. Jimmy Butler was never going 6 of 7 from 3. No. Don't think he was ever shooting 7 threes and he definitely wasn't making 6 of them. Josh Richardson, I think this game was really his coming out party and we're going to talk about a lot of the games that have happened recently, and he obviously has has been out for a little bit. But you'll, you'll take giving him the rest when a couple of these games, he really seemed like he was like the Sixers' number one option. He really looks like he's starting to get comfortable in the offense. He's starting to trust his teammates more. And listen, he's like a lot of the Sixers are young outside of Horford as far as starting five. And so we knew there were going to be chemistry issues. And I think you saw that very early Horford was able to, to – 
fit better in right away. And I think that's because he's a veteran. He's been in so many different schemes. He's played with so many different players. It's easier. Josh Richardson had only been in Miami, had mostly played with the same people. Right. This was his first big drastic change of scheme, of teammates, of everything like that. So you expected that to take a little bit more time. If you think about it that way, and it sure seems like even this quickly that the dividends are paying off significantly now. And hopefully once he gets back after you know the, this short little injury stint, he's able to pick pick up right back where he left off. And I'm just so happy for Josh. He had this big game because I did say in the last pod, I was just really hoping that he would uh, kind of steal the show and Jimmy's thunder and his return. One reason I wanted him to have a big game, because, and this doesn't really come to light as much as Jimmy Butler's return, but I know he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder from being traded, you know, for Jimmy Butler. I know he took that with, you know, a little personally. So for him to just have this big game, it's great. And hopefully this this just puts all the Jimmy Butler uh, talk to bed because a lot of people think that, you know, whether it's like Embiid's emotions lingering on because of Jimmy's influence or whatever, I, I don't think that's the case. And just hopefully we can just stop keep bringing him up. Yeah, I, I'm done talking about it. This was this was basically where I was going to draw the line. It was fun to talk shit up until this game. We smacked that ass. I think they play again in December. Uh, yeah. I think in the middle, I think I'm going to that game with with my buddy Mike, uh, friend of the podcast. And so maybe it'll it'll stir back up a little bit. But honestly, like th- this this really felt like it for me. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure he'll run his mouth more if they somehow win the next one. But it's not going to have the same. Hyper anticipation as this one. It'll just be sure. a bunch of white noise, yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, you kind of feel like after you have a game like that, you're probably due for a letdown. You have to head to Toronto. You play the defending champs, who have been playing much better than I thought they would, to their credit. Yeah. Um, Siakam has has obviously just continued his his like skyrocketing to a, an NBA superstar, which. You know, like I, I don't, I don't have a problem with him, but I really was annoyed by the way people talked about him last season. I felt like it was a little bit overblown, and that's not to say I couldn't see the path for him to get to here. But like, he's significantly better now than he was last season. Like the hype last year was a little bit overblown. Now, like he's legitimately their best player. He's good, man. He's good, man. And I don't know with this game, I. Uh... Obviously, Embiid had the worst game of his career. Yeah, that's really what we have to talk and about. And I don't know if it's just he was just shook going to the Air Canada Center, or just on just you know the, the Heat game taking a lot out of him. It's a lot of things. You know, it's still well at this point in time. This game was still November, so but if Embiid just made a couple of baskets or like it, at the end of the game with Simmons lob to Harris, if had that had that gone through then. This, this would have been a win, but even with Embiid not scoring a single point, we were that close to winning, man. So I have a take on this that I think is a legitimate reason, and I know that I, the, the counter to this is going to be that Joel Embiid is like a top 5, top 10 NBA player, and that I guess it can't be this way, but I, I feel like people are just, are just really killing him for this, and, and he, listen, he can't score zero. But I have this same thought about Ben Simmons sometimes. And the thing is, I mean, if you look at Gasol's numbers, like Gasol locked down Embiid, but Marcus Gasol, Mark Gasol scored three points. He went one mm. of eight from the field. He went one of six from three. The difference between what Marcus Gasol has to do for the Raptors, though, and what Joel Embiid has to do for the Sixers is Joel has to be basically the best defensive player and the leading scorer. 
Marcus Hull gets to come into this game and say, listen, I just have to shut down Joel Embiid. That can be my my sole center of attention, my focus, where I spend my energy. And and he does a great job of that to his credit. I mean, this guy's two-time defensive player of the year. Right. Three, like, he has multiple defensive player of the year awards. He's obviously older now. But the, like he got, he came into this game and his objective was to, to defend Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid had to come in and be... The, the backbone to our defense and the primary scorer. It's a lot, man. And he does it most nights. But, like, he can't spend all his energy scoring and, and against a guy that's giving him his all. And then also have to defend him on the other end. Gasol is a, is a good offensive player. And he still defended well. And it's the same thing we see from Ben Simmons sometimes. Like, we talk about the jump shot, and, and I'm not doing it today, but we're going to get to his elite defense against the Pacers last night. And it's like, I know he's not taking jump shots on offense, but he's also spending this energy on defense, leading the NBA in steals with 42. Like, there has to be some balance, and it just seems to me like in a game like this, again, Embiid can't score zero, but you can't expect him to score 30 either. Like, if Embiid can score, like, 15 in a game like this and play elite defense, somebody else has to pick up the slack, and that's what didn't really happen here to me. Like, Josh Richardson's the only guy who broke 20. Ben Simmons scores 10, Horford 11, Tobias 18. Like, if any of them get to 20, it, it, we're, we're much more in it, if not winning, depending yeah, on who it is. Game. With Embiid not doing a thing, this team was built to be able to shoulder the load evenly, to not have any one guy have to kill himself to carry the team. And, you know, I know it's zero. I know, it's zero. But I just think that while there has to be some blame on Embiid, I'm not trying to be a complete apologist for him. I think there's something to say that like there are a lot of guys that get to defend him, and that's all they have to do, and so they have the energy to do it, and it's a lot for him to have to spend the energy on offense to combat that, and also do what he does on the defensive end, and also carry his giant fucking body up and down the court, which we know is a struggle for him, which some of that is fair, because when you're that big, it always will be, and some of that is, is probably on his conditioning a little bit still. Yeah, I and mean, what's kind of funny too is the two players who always seem to give Embiid a hard time is Al Horford and Marcus Gasol. Well, we sign Al Horford, and we 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 can also trade for Gasol. And listen, the Raptors traded for Gasol last year, knowing that we're probably going to face the Sixers sometimes in the playoff. We need a guy Correct. who has a history of stopping him. Now, at, even as he gets old, you know he's not the same player he was five years ago. But he's he's just playing, you know, smarter because he, you know, can't get around as much. But and and, and Beats just, you know, at some point has got to overpower him. And again, I, I I'm definitely an Embiid apologist. I will admit that. But part of it too, I think this is one of those games where sometimes he just he feels the need that he has to take over. And sometimes I think when he gets in that kind of mindset, it leads to taking bad shots or not trying to get to the paint. I don't think this was a game where he got to the line a lot. So, yeah, so here's 0 for 3. And usually he's 2 or 3 for 3, like, at that point. So it was just all around a, a really bad Embiid game. I mean, if, if this was against, say, the Knicks or a team who didn't have a center, who had that history of just getting in his head and playing them well, it, I'd really be worried. But I just I'm, – I'm as surprised as you, man, that this Raptors team is – still good post Kawhi, so yeah and a lot of that credit has to go to Siakam and and secondly Gasol I think uh real quick note before we move on Korkmaz team high plus eight Korkmaz yep. the goat he is 
of course, in a loss, though. <laughs> so the Sixers go on to face Sacramento, who has been terribly disappointing. I actually, I believe I had said that I thought that they could have been fighting for an eight seed in the West, and it's early, but uh, well under 500 at this point, not looking great. This was another game where, you know, 97-91 Sixers, but they, they really let Sacramento back in this one. It was, it's kind of disappointing that they just can't seem to put teams away. It's, we, we have like two or three pretty big blowouts, and then every other game is just like, you know they should be beating them by more, and they shouldn't be giving up their big leads, and it happens, but they hold on in this one. And Bede obviously answers the Toronto game, coming back with 33-16, and 16, which I think, one, confirms everybody's belief that not that I think anybody doubted this for him as much as a guy like Ben, but like he clearly reads social media. It clearly motivates him. It matters to him. There's no way that he was happy after seeing people clowning him for the zero he put up in Toronto. And you know what? It's fine with me. Yep. If you're going to answer like this, you talked about the free throws only getting three opportunities in Toronto and missing them all. 12 of 14 in this game. Over 50% from the field as well. You can't say enough about what he did. And then the other awesome part of this game was Matisse Seibel's best game of his career. Best game, absolutely. Absolutely the best game of his career. Four steals, which shouldn't be a shock to anybody, and two blocks. So six stocks for him, which is what we know he can do. Three for three from fr- three. Three <laughs> for three from three. Five for five from the field. Two or two from the line. 15 points in 21 minutes. This is like this is really what I think is his, that's his ceiling. Yeah. Like, I don't expect him to ever be a guy that puts up 20 a game. But if he can put up low teens with efficiency like that and the defensive turnovers he generates, like, that's, like, six-man caliber, like, really, really great role player, which is all, all you really need to get out of him to make that pick an absolute slam dunk. And it was, it was just really awesome to see him. I mean, he basically turned the game around in that third quarter. Like, he shut down the Kings' offense, and you could see the Sixers outscored the Kings 29-19 in the third. That was Matisse creating havoc, creating turnovers, playing absolutely great defense. He played a lot of the time that he was in. He played on Buddy Heald, who I think had just come off a game where he hit like 11 or 12 threes. Yeah, he went off. And in this one, he goes 3 of 12 from 3, only gets 22 points in 37 minutes. Like, Buddy Heald is arguably one of the best shooters in the entire league. And when he's hot, there's really nothing you can do. And Matisse Seibel, a, a you know, 21st pick, rookie season, is coming in, clamping up. We saw the thing. He throws up the axe. Apparently that means means clamps. I was doing that last night at the Pacers game when I needed him to lock him oh, down. Okay. Throw up the axe. Uh, awesome game for Matisse. Really, really happy for him. The offense is really what's going to determine his playing time. I know that people get upset in games where he doesn't play a lot and think he needs run. And the big issue that Brett Brown has is, you know, we have issues with shooting and scoring. And although his defense is already seemingly elite at times, if the shot's not falling, he's he's completely useless on the offensive end. And this team just right now isn't built to be able to afford that, to sacrifice that for his defense. So games like this, you know, I don't expect them to go 100% across the board, but no. just getting the shot to fall, man, taking the shots where they're there, in the rhythm of the offense, and then generating havoc on the other end, it's it's so awesome to see. And it's so nice to see them really hit on a draft pick so and, far. 
And it was really timely, too, because this was a really bad game otherwise for the bench. Mike Scott and Ennis really had bad games, and it seems like after this game, Ennis had some really put, put together a great string of games, but this one he didn't. Um, if, if Thibel didn't put up those numbers, we, we would not have won. It, it, it's as simple as that. So hopefully we, we, we see that from Matisse a little more this season. Like you said, I don't expect this to be every game. He's a rookie. He still has a lot to learn, especially on the offensive game. But it's just really encouraging to see. So if we get that, we're, we're going to be in a really good position. So we move on to the next game. And another time that this Knicks team for – I believe they have the worst record in the NBA, if I'm not mistaken. They just seem to to really like playing against us and really hanging with us. I mean, they are big for what it's worth. They do have a lot of size to match up with us, uh, but they just don't really have the horses to to keep no. up in in a 48 game or 48 minute game, which seems to be the case. Is it seems like they play us really well for you know 40 ish minutes, but they just can't put it together at the end. Which again. We've talked a lot about, even before the season started, the Sixers' end-of-game offense and what are they going to do. And I think for all the Brett Brown haters out there, and we are obviously apologists for Brett, what everyone has universally given him a lot of credit for this season compared to every other one is end-of-game offensive sets, uh, out-of-timeout offensive sets, stuff like that, which have made the Sixers a, a very good team in the clutch early on while they're still working on chemistry. The Knicks are a whole bunch of random bodies thrown together that are a lot of like mid-tier talent. They don't have a clear star. They don't have a go-to guy. They don't have a, a consistent, really, perimeter shooter. And it, it just kind of shows in a game like this. And the point of me saying all that is basically like both of these Knicks-Sixers games, I don't really look at as Sixers wins, and I can't really even give them the credit. Like These feel like they were Knicks losses. And you're kind of getting lucky there. Like It's just a team that's not equipped to win it at that point, and you're getting the benefit of that. Yeah, I know how everyone likes to joke that the Knicks, their team is just 11 power forwards, and if there's any other team in the NBA who's suited to defend them, it's us. And, and vice versa, though. Yeah, so I, and I think that's just part of it. Like you said, you know, they're... They have a bunch of like decent guys, but none of them are really horses. And like I'm looking at the boxer, and Frank Neal Keen is listed as a point guard. I'm like, he, he's not a point guard. Like it, and like Taj Gibson, who's like 44 years old, just like these are a bunch of guys who they're just going to get you know their spurts during the game where they're going to make their impact. But collectively, this team is just, and that's why they fell apart in the fourth quarter. They were just all these gas big guys who just couldn't hang with us and. I know it's the Knicks. I know they're the worst team in the NBA, but there's one way of looking at it too. Come playoff time, as this team's like grooming, getting to know each other and gel and everything, they have the experience of at least coming back. And again, like I know it may seem like nothing against the Knicks, but I mean, it's it's things like this that help the team, you know, reach their ultimate potential. So. Yeah, and the other thing besides the the Knicks kind of giving these games away and letting the Sixers back in after after really coming out of out of the gates is, you know, the Knicks are very top heavy. Like their starters are a bunch of decent players. They don't necessarily fit well together, and everything like that. But they are are they are pretty good players. They have no bench, and they got absolutely beat to death by our bench and mainly James Ennis, who from this game forward. Has, has really been showing up a lot and really seems like he's found 
his way. He's found his role on this team. High energy. The shot is falling. Offensive rebounds, baby. Yeah, except I I mean I got a bone to pick with that last night, but it but in the <laughs> next game, you know, he he only had three boards, which is weird, but twenty points. Nine of nine from the a bench player going to the line nine times is is kind of weird. Um, but that's just his energy, him not being not shying away from contact and, and things like that. Absolutely monster game from James Ennis and just how we drew it up, James Ennis. Second on the team and scoring in this one with twenty points and and helping us hold on for the win. Now now now, uh, what about your boy Norvell Pell? The the eye test he looked good at times, but the uh, you know he was a minus six and I he, I know he got postered early in the he, game when he came in. Norvell Pell is never going to be a box score guy. He's never going to no, be an analytics no. <laughs> guy. Norvell Pell still would have been the best backup center last season in the playoffs. Yeah, no, you're ahead right. of anybody else. So if that's what we're going to judge this on, I'm I'm going to stand by the fact that Norvell Pell would have been an upgrade over Amir Johnson or uh, Greg Monroe, Greg Monroe, or even Boban. Yeah, uh, defensively specifically, the offense is going to be tough for him. He got his first NBA points in this one from the line. Uh, did not actually have a field goal attempt or anything. You know. It's it's hard for a guy like that who's been in the G League for a while. I've seen him down there in my time covering the Blue Coats. Like, you know, a guy like that needs chemistry because he's he's a rim runner. Right. So you need guys to know where you're at, when you're gonna go, how to get you the ball, and that's gonna take time playing with an entirely different team, all NBA level guys. And while Joel Embiid can obviously posterize guys, he's not a rim runner. No. Like, nobody's throwing lobs to him. Really, like he's going and getting his own. He's a driver, you know. He he's a post body. Like it's an entirely different game, playing with a guy like Norvell Pell. So I think the more he gets acclimated with these guys, you'll see a little bit. But I mean, you know, he's not. He's a guy that's yeah. going to average like five points a game. Like, I just want to see Norvell Pell. I think his ceiling is like a like a poor man's Nerlens Noel. Just like you said, running to the rim, getting blocks, just high energy guy off the bench, like. We don't really need him to score unless if it's putbacks, things like that. So if we can get just, you know, really good versions of that out of him, I, I th- that's all we can really expect from him. I think he has more dog in him than Nerlens, but Nerlens has a better pedigree. He's oh, a bit yeah. bigger. He's more springy. But, yeah, um, you saw, Pell that there was that one possession where – he had like two blocks, and then I think they called a foul on the third one. But he yeah. was not. I, it might have been Mitchell Robinson, if I if I remember correctly. I'm not sure, but like three straight attempts. It reminded you of Dario that one game <laughs> when he had like the, the right. three or four blocks in a row. Like he he like he he's a guy that can get in that mindset where he just says like no, like this ball is not getting in my fucking rim right now on this possession. Like it will not, right. and it didn't. And like that's that's all you can ask from him. And listen. When you don't have any other available backup big, if he can go 13 minutes and almost give you an even plus minus, I think that's honestly the best case scenario. Right. Specifically this season, I mean, he's like, I think he's 27, 26, 27. So he could still grow a little bit. You're never, you're not going to see a significant jump from no. him. But you know, he he can grow into the the second, third backup big on a team and and just give you. Pr- Minutes where you're not getting absolutely demolished and where you're not pointing fingers at, hey, you know, whose assignment was this? Why was this defensive coverage blown? Like, you're not going to have those issues. And if he can build the chemistry to get a little rim run action, that's great. I've seen him working on a little baseline jumper here and there. You know, maybe he can extend his range like 14 feet or so 
even if he has that, it's something. That's fine, but nice to see him get a shot. Uh, hopefully, as the season goes, you know, barring injuries, of course, but if they have to call on him again, I, I think you'll be able to see a little bit more out of him the more comfortable he gets and a little bit more time spent with the team. So this moves us on to last night as the Sixers hold on to beat the Pacers 119-116. I was at this one. I had been trying to sell it because, as you know as well, see, we had a friend's birthday yesterday, which is why we were hanging at Tom Foolery, which we mentioned earlier. But, you know, the, the ticket prices just kept kind of going down. And at some point, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm, like, we had planned to go to this. My wife really wanted to see the return of TJ McConnell. And I felt bad, but, you know, at, at some point it's like, well, I'm not taking an L on these. And it is a big game that I want to go to on a Saturday night. I imagine I, the entire yeah. arena was husbands taking their wives to see the return of TJ. It's very possible. <laughs> uh, the building was very the building was very alive. And it was weird because it didn't seem like the parking lot was all that full, nor going to my seats. Was it, like, super crowded? Like, not as much as, like, the heat game felt. But the building was very loud, very energetic. It was nice to see. They did the video package for TJ. I put that on Twitter, so if you didn't get a chance to see it. Uh, and then Fanside had actually retweeted me. That one That one really blew up, man. Yeah, it the, did. Uh, the, the, the video package for TJ. And then TJ, when he finally got called into the game, I posted that too because I was waiting for it. And it was funny because, like... I don't know what was going on, but like he was so, he was like a dog trying to go outside with the door closed. Like <laughs> they wouldn't let him onto the court yet. And right. He's just trying to get on there, and then he goes out, and then I don't know I don't know how this got set up, but I, I guess Brett was calling him over. So he like walks to mid court, and then has to like backpedal to Brett, and Brett gives him a hug, gives him a kiss on the shoulder. I, I don't know it, at that point if Zainab was just jealous or if she was thinking about ways to kill TJ for touching what was hers, but probably both. Maybe a little bit of both, but really awesome moment. Then, then the thing that was weird to me was like we all cheered for all of that, but then he's in the game, and then he's no longer a Sixer. And there was a weird contingent of people that seemed to be still cheering him anytime he did something good, and I'm not okay with it. I don't think that you should do that. I don't know where you stand on something like that, but like. You can't cheer for him making a play on when he's on the other team. After you cheer for the video package, you cheer for him coming in, and then that's it. It's over. Yeah, after, yeah. After the video package, he, that that shit's right? got to stop. And what actually drove me more crazy was it's uh, he only scored six points, but all six points I'm pretty sure was that little corner elbow, you know, mid range shot, which is like, come on, we know that that's like his one shot. Like I know, I know, he hit, I know he hit one of those, and I know he had he had a layup that was frustrating. Okay, I don't yeah. know where the other one came from, but yeah. He, I mean, he did the same things he always did. Listen, we love TJ. Appreciate what he did here. He showed in this game why he's not here anymore. And yeah. I don't really miss him. And I think Hal Neto has been a, a significant upgrade. Hal Neto had a... You see, did you see the dish he had to uh, to Ennis in this one? It was That nasty. one in the paint? Like, come on. Hal Neto has been a pretty good defender. He makes really good plays. He can shoot the three. Yeah. He's got the floater. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of Howell and, and what he's done so far. And I think he's cemented himself as that backup point guard. He can play a little bit off ball with Ben. Really, really happy to have Howell Neto here. Thank you for everything, TJ. But I'm he got good. his money in Indiana. <clears throat> he'll he'll retire happy. He got paid, and he'll be a referee or a coach somewhere. The other thing about this game was Ben Simmons' defense. It was locked down. He had like three steals. In the final 13 30, seconds, yeah. I think. 
uh, as the Pacers kept hanging around in this one. Dude, like, like TJ Warren, it felt like he didn't miss. It says he went 11 of 19 from the field, but I swear to God, he didn't miss. Uh, ben stripped him at one point going to the rim. Uh, he, he, it didn't seem like he was missing, so Ben forced the turnover instead. Uh, ben gets the steal to get Tobias on the break at the end to put them up, and then again makes a ridiculous play on the inbounds, which he did as well against, was it the Knicks? Yeah. Like, you can't inbound against this team. Like, we talk about their length and a half-court defense, but, like, when they really clamp down on the inbound, like, you're fucked. There's nobody who can get the ball versus these guys. And, and, and thank God Ben did that because had he not and we lost this game, I, I think everyone would have been asking for a Tobias's head with uh, how he played down the stretch. But, yeah, Ben... Ben just like you could see it in his eyes, man. He's like, dude, like I got this. Like we, we ain't losing this fucking game. There's 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 no way. And like it was just it, it was incredible to see. And I just I'm I'm glad he had that just because all the Ben haters they all they want to talk about is this jump shot and nothing else. And then like when you bring up you know like he got three seals in the final 13 seconds. Well, he still can't hit a three. It's it's like talking to a wall at that point. It's like. A lot of, I think um, people to be getting this season were a little premature with talking Ben as a possible defensive player of the year candidate, or not, not defensive player of the year so much, but like a first team all in, you know, defense. But I think this game and, you know, games leading up to it as well really showed like, like, dude, like he's, and he's now leading the NBA in steals, right? Yep. 42 steals through 20 games. So over to a game, which is absolutely insane to think about. We shouted out uh, Thiago on Twitter before, if, if you weren't following him already. Um, he posted a like a thread of, of uh, clips from this Pacers game of Ben basically defending every position at some point and, and making an impact. And that's one of the things that when people were talking about him being a potential first-team all, first all-NBA defense is his versatility and how he can do that. Um, so again, Thiago is T Scabia at T Scabia T S C A B B I A. Uh, we've plugged him before. Plug him again because that thread is awesome. I retweeted it, so if you follow me, at Dan says that you can see that. But defending every position, making big plays, and again, we say it every episode, but it is what it is. If he can play that defense and shoot seventy percent from the line, which in this game he was actively seeking contact and going to the line. He went 7 of 7 from the line and beat 15 of 15. Those guys 100%, 22 for 22 from the line. That's absurd. That's the reason they won this game. Yeah, and we talked about it before. Like, I don't give a shit about Ben shooting threes. I just want to see that free throw percentage go up. Yep. And that game is showing improvement there. He padded it here. Yeah, and, and going back to what you said earlier, his ability just to defend 1 through 5, that's just one of those things that – you can't quantify and put in a stat sheet and it's just so incredibly valuable. Like who else in the like how many people in the NBA can defend one through five and do it at such a high level? Yeah, because there's a we talk about, you know, bigs that can defend on the perimeter. Like we always give Joel Embiid credit. We think he can hang with guys here and there. Horford's another guy that has been given credit for that throughout his career. And that's true, but like he can't actually guard that player for multiple right. stretches. He can, if he gets matched on him here and there, he can survive on the island. But Ben Simmons, you could literally say, 
hey, this game you're defending the point guard. Hey, this game you're defending the power forward. This game you're def- it doesn't matter. Yeah, he, he can, can literally it all. he can do them on. He can do them situationally. He can do them in your scheme. It doesn't matter. He can do whatever you want, very very efficiently. The thing about Embiid in this one is so now this is the second back to back in two weekends. I I don't think that we were sure that that it didn't seem like at the at the beginning of the year that that was going to be the case again. But here we are that that was going to be the case that he was going to be able to play in these. And he's done it now. So, do you, I mean, it, it looks like he's performing well in them. It looks like he's handling it. But do you have any concern about that going forward? Or do you think that, that now he this is just going to be the norm that he's able to go? Um, what I'm a little concerned about is in the beginning of the year, they said that rather than just taking games off and not playing back-to-backs, that he would be playing in more games, but just playing less minutes. Well, that's what he wanted. Yeah, and... I, I'm not sure if I like that, and I'll, at the end of the day, like I don't care about his stats or individual awards. Like I would love Embiid to get like an MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, things like that. But if he's going to only play 20 minutes a game, he's not going to achieve that. But I just think well, that's not happening though. And that's yeah, the that's thing. Not, is and he's playing these back to backs, but he's still playing his regular 32 ish minutes. So. By by those standards, they're not. There's no. There's no take with the give. He's playing the back to back, but they're not lessening the workload. And if anything, as of late, like he's had to do so much. Yeah, and and, and it's just concerning because again, these. I, I mean, the Pacers are no joke. Um, I mean, they're they're probably gonna be like the fourth or fifth seed. I can I can um, see that. You know, they're. Uh, th- it's interesting because this Pacers team, like minus. Um, Oladipo. Oladipo. They kind of, just because they have this collection of, like, really solid players, they have Holiday coming off the bench. They kind of remind me of, like, um, the Nets the past couple of years. Like, they don't have any, like, a big superstar. And Malcolm Brogdon, like, he's a really good player, but he's he, he's not an all-star player in my eyes. So I think they're just going to be that team. They're just going to give you, um, you know, issues just because they, they just got a really good collection of guys. But... It's just concerning because it's, you know, MB's playing these high minutes against teams that they should be winning, you know, without him or, you know, without him playing the majority of the minutes. But I hope I'm not too worried because I just think with time, as this team starts to gel together, hopefully they're not as dependent upon him, you know, for 35 minutes a game. And hopefully we get to a point where he can play 25-30, especially against teams like the Knicks or Cavs. So... Yeah, I mean, in the Heat game, he only played, like, 27, but that was because it was a blowout. So, yeah. like, there are those games, but you can't bank on that. And that that's the only thing that concerns me. I'm glad that they seem to be doing what he's asking because, like, I've said the entire time, I think he knows his body best. So, if he says that he can play more games but needs less minutes, that's fine. But if you're going to play more games, then you have to limit the minutes. Yeah, and you can't do a little bit of both. you got to do one or the other. Because that's just going to mess his body and, up. And maybe it's been because Horford, you know, Horford missed the game here for rest, too. You know, the night before, but like, you know, right. I, I don't know what his situation is. Kyle Quinn's been out, so, you know, maybe once everybody else is back, you can do that a little more. Uh, this might just be that they just needed him for the sake of not having all the bodies, but uh thought it was interesting to bring up. You mentioned Malcolm Brogdon, so I, I, I there were two situations in this game that I thought were weird that I think would kind of split the audience. I'm curious as to where you stand on these. One, I, th- I believe about like five and a half seconds left, Sixers are up three. 
Pacers are out of timeouts and have to go the full length of the court, and the Sixers foul and send Brogdon to the line for two because they're up three. So my first question is, how do you feel about that strategy of making them go to the line so they can't shoot the three? I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I wonder if part of it's because when um, when Tobias uh, was it? No, I think it was T.J. Warren that foul where he hit all three, right? Yeah, yeah. I think Brett was that like, foul was bullshit. By the way, yeah. that was on Tobias, and it was he kicked his leg out. But. Yeah, I, I I thought it was kind of bullshit too. And with the, I, I just hate that rule. I know you have to give them space and time to land, but it kind of looked like a J.J. Redick move, you know, kicking your feet out to yeah, try to draw his leg the foul. Out. Yeah, so I wonder if just because of you know the flow of the officiate, I wonder if I wonder if Brett's uh, you know ML was just like you know what I don't want to risk that again you know true and one after a three so we're just gonna foul him. It was Tony Hope Brothers. To- we know how Tony Brothers is. So. Yeah, I, that, that's a fair Tony point. Brothers. I don't love the strategy it worked in this case, but you you make a good point that maybe that got in his head, and that's understandable. My next thing is that Brogdon made them both. Yeah, <laughs> that I think is. A worse strategy than Brett fouling. Don't you have to miss the second one? Yeah, I was. Just I feel like, like you have a much better chance. It's then a two-point game, and you go for the rebound. You tip it back in. Right. It's tied. You smack it back out and shoot the three. You win. But here, here's my hot take: Malcolm Brogdon, selfish as shit, only cares about 50-40-90, not winning games. Yep. And didn't want to didn't want to hinder his free throw percentage, which by the way went eight for eight. So, patting his stats, yeah. not getting wins. You hate to see you it. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. So, Sixers hold on. Biggest takeaway, like we said before, Ben Simmons. Incredible defense at the end. He needs to be... I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't think of other people in the league right now doing what he's doing defensively, being the primary initiator for the offense... Really hope that he he seems like he's starting to take a little bit more in the mid-range jumper. Not a whole ton, but we're seeing bits and pieces here. I hate that they're all fadeaways, but yeah, it's something. We complain that he's not doing anything. He's doing something. I think it was in that Knicks game where he took those two fadeaways that were just garbage shots. And I, 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 I didn't like the sh- shot selection, but that's what it takes for him to get comfortable to taking those shots. Right. Like you got to start somewhere, dude. And that, and that we've said this a lot. And it, it it rings with me all the time is that people want him to shoot and then they're like, Oh, that's a bad shot. It's like yeah. you gotta you gotta take the good to bad, like you said. If it's getting him into the rhythm, if it's getting him comfortable, that's fine. Oh, I remember the other thing I wanted to ask you about this game. Sabonis. Really really seems like he he has a beef with Embiid or the Sixers in general. This wasn't the first time that we saw that. And we also saw with the Knicks, and we've already played them twice now, that it seems like Marcus Morris and, and Ben Simmons, and maybe even stemming back from the Celtics days, that they've got a bit of a beef going on. Mm. I feel like we need like a new list of, of enemies of the Sixers and like who's on that list. So my question to you is like where where do Sabonis and Marcus Morris rank on, on our enemies list? I assume other people that we easily throw in there are uh, Donovan Mitchell. I think Hassan Whiteside is so irrelevant now that he's probably right. off. I, does Jimmy Butler make the list? I guess so. Like I think Morris is definitely higher up on the list than say Sabonis. I think the thing with, with, with Sabonis and maybe this can be said with a lot of players in the league. It's like almost a one-way rivalry where he just for whatever reason hates Embiid and just Embiid, you know, in the past has had his numbers. So, but I think part of it too, man, it's just like with. 
with this team, with the expectations we had going in this year, and apparently every other foul by Embiid's a fucking flagrant. Like, I think it's just, now that we have these expectations in this team, I think it's just, every team's coming for us, man. And, you know, someone on the other team, whether it's a Sabonis or a Morris, they're they're just going to try to play at a higher level or try to get in our heads. So I think we're just going to see this more, you know, you know, almost every game, someone on the other team's going to have beef with Embiid or Simmons, and I think that's just part of it, man. Yeah, we've really gotten every team's best, and it, and I think that speaks to to what we mentioned earlier about it's either been a blowout or an insanely tight game. Like, right. there's really nothing in between because teams are coming after us and getting punched in the mouth, or they're coming after us and, and taking us to the brink. So we, we basically had five players. I mean, you know, this can be personal for you. Like, rank these guys. From like most hated to least hated, you've got Carl Anthony Towns, Donovan Mitchell, Sabonis, Morris, and Jimmy Butler. Who's the number one enemy right now? I, I think number one's Donovan Mitchell. Okay, who and we then, play on Monday? Yeah, the number two is Carl Anthony Towns, followed by, I guess you got to say Butler, then Morris, and then Sabonis. Okay, I think I've Towns first. Yeah. I definitely, I think Towns is pretty far ahead of everybody after the last time, and I think everyone's going to be really, really, really interested in that uh, that March game uh, with Minnesota. I think Mitchell's probably two. I think we'll have to see how Monday goes and maybe reevaluate it if he has anything to say leading up to or after that game. Yeah, because if anything, his he still holds on to this Rookie of the Year grudge. Yeah, Ben's like. Has been past it. He's since so far then. past. It. I mean, he and won it's the awards. Just like so. he's just going to keep crying, and people are just going to keep. They're like, really, you're, you're still harping on this dude. So I think, I think he's good at number two, but he'll probably start to come down as the yeah. season. I think Morris is three because uh, it sure seems like he's going to try to fight Ben Simmons soon, and this also all stems back from even the Celtics time. So yeah. he gets points for that as well. Four. I, th- I think I say Sabonis just because I really okay. feel like he's got some kind of agenda where, like, Jimmy's just going to talk after losses. Like, right. he's not going to do anything in the game. He- he's not he's not ever going to really get in anybody's face, I don't think. Not as far as anyone on the Sixers are concerned because of the fact that he had pretty good relationships with most of them. I think he's more of an enemy to the fan base now than that he is to sense, the team. Yeah. But Sabonis, like, Sabonis, do you see the, the clip? I mean, I I was I, I saw it on the fucking floor, like he when he fouled out one of his teammates, they yeah. put his arm around him, and like took his hand off it, like when your when your wife's trying to like calm you down, you're right. like, don't touch me, <laughs> I'm mad right now. Yeah, like it's one of those man. Guy was heated. Yeah, and I was so glad he fouled out too, because the 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 foul on uh, Embiid was was such bullshit, and I, I was just like, dude, come on. And then like when he fouled out, I was just like, good, like. To me, that just felt like instant karma. Like, it's funny. It it's so funny when they have games like this, and there are a lot of games when when you go to so many, where there becomes a guy that you just know they're gonna get in the foul trouble, and the and that be, starts to become what the entire building is cheering for. Yeah, and that's like usually that starts at five because that's when most people realize they're actually in foul trouble. But dude, once the bonus picked up four, that's all the entire building wanted for the next like ten yeah. minutes. Like it started much earlier with him than I can remember really any player in recent memory. They got, I think they got Turner too early, and everybody was really hype about that because yeah. then he had to go. But the whole game it was like, okay, like Sabonis has to get, has to, has to, has to say goodbye at some point in this game. Like 
I don't think any building in the NBA. I mean, the Sixers I think are number two or three in attendance, and I think they have the long, maybe the longest sellout streak of yeah, anybody. Yeah, I think they do. Yeah, but dude, I I can't think of any building that goes absolutely more insane than this fan base when a guy fouls out. Like we live and yeah. breathe that shit. We're so happy to wave <laughs> goodbye to a guy getting having to leave the game. And I can absolutely speak to it myself because every time a guy. Uh, hits four fouls. I'm always thinking, oh, he's two away. He's like, yep. keep giving it to Embiid. Like, let him foul, him, let him foul. Him. Like, and part of it, that's just our strength. Embiid, Simmons, whoever, just going to the line. And like, those are the games we win when well, we. Well, obviously, last night it was like we said. 20, yeah, they shot 89 percent as a team, and and Simmons and Embiid combined 22 for 22. If Ben is getting five plus free throw attempts a game, it's gonna it's gonna make up for a lot of the other deficiencies yeah. that they have. Uh, I think that's it. You have anything? Any? Oh, you did one more thing. Oh yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the uh, proposed uh, changes the league wants to make with the scheduling. Uh, apparently, so 2021-22, it's the 75th uh, anniversary of the NBA, um, and some of the changes they are proposing are shortening to shortening the regular season to 78 games. Good. So that's four games less. However, that would be to make room for a uh, in-season uh, playoff event. Bad. And also, they want to reseed. Once they get to the conference finals, they want to reseed the team. So, regardless of conference, you know the number, f- you know the team with the best record in the NBA, you know of the four teams plays, you know the fourth seeded team, and you know bad. So, so I love less games. Probably biased because of all the load management bullshit we've had to deal with for so long. Yeah. I don't know how I'd feel about that if we just had a regular team, but we don't. So I'm saying it's good. In-season tournament, absolutely garbage. Nobody cares. There's no reason for it. Don't take away games to just make them play more meaningless games. You might as well just have a bigger preseason. Exactly. Like, that's totally dumb. The reseeding thing is interesting because here's – I think that – that's the middle ground of the two opposite sides of it, and I hate it more than either opposite side. I'm fine with how it is now, but if you want to change it, then just reseed the playoffs. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a better thing. idea. Because yeah. the reason to keep it how it is is rivalries and stuff like that, and that's great. Like we love. Like it's a it's a good thing for the league that like the two LA teams may have to face off in the conference finals. It's a good thing for the league that like. You know, we have to play the Celtics in the playoffs. We have to play the Bucks in the playoffs, the Raptors in the playoffs. And that these are, like, big rivalry games. It's not going to be the same if it ends up being, like, like Sixers-Clippers in the conference finals is is weird. Yeah. It's just kind of weird. But if you if you want to get rid of that idea, then you just got to go, like, 1 through 16. And then once you get used to that, then you're probably going to develop rivalries in that way because you will see more Western teams more often because, like, the same teams usually for, like, a two- to three-year period are kind of same top and bottom. So you may get two years where you face a Western Conference team in the playoffs two years in a row, and you can kind of build that. But if it doesn't happen until that second-to-last round, then I just don't think it, it, it really generates the same hype, the attention, anything like that. It just seems like it, it's a compromise in the middle of both those extremes, and I think that's the worst thing that you can do. I think you have to stay one or the other. It's either East versus West, or you reseed the whole thing. Right. I, I'm kind of good with either. I don't think I don't think I, I I lean either way on that one. 
Yeah, and the other thing, too, is they want to have, like, two uh, playing games. I guess kind of what they do in March Madness where, uh, you know, teams, you know, play for the 16th seed, and I think it's, like, the 8th or ninth seed or whatever, yeah. they have four playing games. Like, uh, I guess that's actually a creative way I'm not against to, you know, the league's trying to do what they can to avoid more tanking in the future but or whatever. How, if so. you're the ninth seed and you have a playing game the face – the dominant one seed. Do you think it's gonna like? Have, aren't we at this point where I still don't think an eight's beating a one, right? I think the Knicks did in the nineties. Okay, I could be wrong. Like the but percentage, yeah, there was like one. The percentage yeah, points, and right now the league is so top heavy, bottom weak that like an eight to nine seed just right. there. There is no real scenario where an eight to nine seed is giving them any 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 shit so like yeah and, and you know in, in college sports you know obviously that upset's far more likely to happen but right. in the pros man like that's that's just that unpredictability isn't there so, so i don't like and, and plus if they're playing an extra game then like like we're talking about load management and stuff like they're just at a bigger disadvantage they now have another game while the the higher seed rests like it just seems like it's more stuff not favoring anybody yeah don't make people will watch that game so they'll make money off of it. Yeah. So I I think that's probably the easy the, the two easiest things they do, shorten the regular season and do the playing game. Those seem like they're probably locks to happen. Yeah. I'm fine with shortening the regular season. I don't really care about the playing game. I mean, listen, if we were a meddling team and we're the nine seed and we get to play for a chance at the playoffs, like yeah, I'm gonna be pretty hyped and watch that game. So yeah, I guess it's hard to it's hard to be bi- unbiased about that right now because like we're a dominant team. So I don't really care about, you know, advantages or, or, or options being given to meddling teams. But I'm sure if we were in that situation, we'd probably probably right, be pretty yeah. happy it's there. Same thing with the, the baseball wild card, the, the playing game now. Like, sucks you go on to pretty much play the one seed, but, like, you're just happy that after 162 games, your team even has a shot. Exactly. In baseball, you see it happen, though. Right. Baseball, you really don't. That's what no. I think they have to weigh. Does it really matter? What What is it going to do? Does that team... Really have any chance? Like who? Like who do you think is an eight seed in the East right now? Like, yeah, the, and, and the that's Bulls? why. Yeah, and that's why you don't see, you know, because of the way the NBA playoffs set up, that it's you know seven game series. Like, it's just nearly impossible for eighth, ninth, tenth seed to win that because there's a seven game series. So yeah, like, like you know, if this was single elimination, sure, sure, but, you know that that that's just that's just not going to happen. I like the idea of the in-season tournament. I just feel that they're going to do too many things to make it not worthwhile. And everyone talks about how they get this because they have um, the comparison that's always made is that in the rest of the world, you know, in soccer and their leagues, they have that. But also, one, those types of tournaments uh, in most cases have existed before the league they play in did. So there's a really long history, and also those uh, tournaments they also have like professional or like I, I guess the equivalent of a minor league or semi-professional teams also participate in that. So obviously NBA is not set up where they can set games like that with the um, with the G League or any other amateur teams or whatever, and it's just you know and because it's a separate tournament and thing of itself that's like you know oh another set of tv rights that they can sell and just make more money but it's I just I mean this is what it comes down to for me I'm sorry to cut you off yeah. but this is what this is what I want you to answer 
Is LeBron James going to play in that tournament? No. Is Kawhi Leonard going to play in that tournament? No. Then why the fuck do you have it? Yeah. That's the problem. And that's yeah, and that's what the NBA. Why all are those about guys going to gonna play in that if it could potentially they could get hurt? It could cost them millions of dollars. Yeah. And it doesn't get them any closer to a title because it doesn't count. Yeah. There's no way those guys are going to play those games. No, like if, unless like you know like it. And the one argument for it is that okay, well our younger players we can call up our G League guys just to get experience and then like, watch summer not, league. But yeah, that's yeah, and, and you have a tournament. There's a winner of that. Yeah, and it's in Vegas. Like yeah. you know, does does anyone really want to go to Memphis in the middle of December for a semifinal in season? No. Tur- like you know, so no, I, I do just, not. Like I think on like the idea and the possibilities. It's great, but when it comes down to execution, and, and, you know, I didn't even think about it, but, you know, Kawhi, LeBron, no one's going to want to play in these games, and I don't think they can even make a financial incentive big enough for them, you know, that's going to be worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, I think I think we covered just about everything and got it done right, right in about an hour, so this is perfect. This is nice. exactly what I wanted to do. I'm going to rest my voice for the rest of the day, uh, even though we're about to start screaming at the Eagles in 25 minutes. Uh, Again, Friday, December 6th, at Neck of the Woods Brewing in Pittman, our one-year anniversary. Love to see people out there. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to everybody who supports. And as always, subscribe, five-star rating, write a review, all of that. Check out the shirts on Design Tree, I believe. Uh, up until the rest of today. So uh, if you listen to this quickly, you should hear this in time. If you use the, clo- the code Black Friday, you get 20% off the entire website, which includes our shirts. So check that out. Thanks to Design Tree. And uh, we will talk to everybody and hopefully see some of you on Friday. <laughs>